0: I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Funnell. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating happy, healthy, beautiful homes that prepare us to fly. And the conversation today is about hard conversations. We're having a nice conversation about <laughs> hard conversations, <laughs> nice. Marjorie. It's a tough ones. Tough, tough talks. One. Yeah, tough talks is the theme today. And really, this is so interesting because if you think about what is the most awkward conversation that you have to have in your home, With your children, or when you think back to being a child and the most awkward conversation (laughs) that you had with your parents, what does it center around Marjorie?
1: Sex! Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I kind
0: of think it prevents some people from wanting to have children because just <laughs> knowing that they have to have that conversation makes them da- like, peace out.
1: Do you have any data to support
0: that? I have no <laughs> statistical data, but that's I how like the podcast runs. We don't need
1: like it. That's right. We don't need data. No.
0: We bring in experts who have data. Yeah. Can you recall these types of conversations in your household? This is intriguing to me because you grew oh, up yeah. with four girls you, you, uh, in a house of four sisters. I grew up in a house of three sisters. Right. So there is a lot of girl stuff going on. I grew up Catholic in the 70s. There was no talk
1: of sex. (laughs) There was no talk of sex. But what did happen at St. Margaret Mary's, where I went to grammar school, in fifth grade, Elizabeth, we had becoming a person.
0: Oh. And
1: that was where school taught us about the birds and the bees. Yeah. Not my parents. Did you ever have a conversation with
0: your parents about it?
1: No. And this is what's so funny to me when I look back at this is not only did I not have a conversation about it in a serious way, I would come home and report back to them about becoming a person and they found it hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> so they viewed my sex education as entertainment. Oh, gosh. As opposed to them giving me any sort of information beforehand. And what's funny is I think because I had three older sisters, I wouldn't say our family was prudish, but we really didn't talk about it. And in those days, there wasn't a lot of media that was coming into our life which would have exposed me to it. For sure. Which I think is what's different now. Is, you know, I've watched the Brady Bunch, there was nothing. There was nothing. Love American style was a show that I don't think you remember, but that was my sex education because you knew something happened when the lights went off.
0: Oh, isn't that that intriguing?
1: For the longest time, I thought it only happened if the lights went off.
0: Yeah, some Very people. Some people probably do live by that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that, but it's not a. I, I don't. I don't think it was necessarily unhealthy because I found out in good time. But I really didn't understand all of the mechanics and all of what was going on until about fifth grade, which is funny because I'm the youngest of four, so it wasn't even filtering down to me from my sisters.
0: It's a fascinating thing because as the oldest of three, mm. I didn't know you were responsible anything. And I remember my parents are. I grew up in a conservative household, and so there was sort of a way to look at that conversation I mean we kind of we learned I remember them giving us a book and being like let us know if you have any questions about how this works and then be being horrified by finding out how babies are actually (laughs) made which when you think about it it still sometimes is kind of a shocking thing I mean you're like wow whoa that's really what happens but then (laughs) I recall
1: that's gonna happen to me yeah what
0: How? But then I also remember there being a real black and white viewpoint on it that I think was challenging for me as I sort of got older and figured out my life. It was really either within marriage or not at all.
1: Oh, for for me as well. And
0: so I do think that that makes things more complicated as you're choosing to have these conversations with your kids. What do you tell them about that if maybe that's the way that you were raised, but that's not necessarily the way that then you behaved, right? I mean, right. let's be real. So that conversation that's, is important.
1: What you just said there, I think, is the most important thing to remember, although the expert's coming. But to me, that's one of the most important things about that conversation about sex is, and we'll get into it. my children are grown, so we'll talk about that in a minute, but what was really important to me is that I was always 100% honest with them about the choices that I made about sex, because I never wanted to be a hypocrite. Wow. And I think that that's really, I just think that's so important on so many levels. I mean, I'm not talking about having that honest conversation about my sex life when the kids are sick. For sure. But as they grow older, I think people need to be honest with their kids about what their beliefs really are and how they lived them out. If you had a belief system, but you failed yourself in that sense in some way, be honest
0: about it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. It's complicated because it doesn't just have to do with sex. It has to do with how you feel about your body, how yes. you respect your body, making choices for reasons that are supporting your well-being. I mean, yes. it's such a complicated thing. And so I'm really glad that we have an expert here to talk about it. So yes. this is Dr. <laughs> Heidi Croat, and she is on our show today. First time we've had a doctor on the show. Feels very good. She is a professor, a family sexual communication researcher, and a parent educator. And she has this parenting education program, which I think is so cool. It's called Beyond Birds and Bees, Communicating your values to raise sexually healthy kids. And Elizabeth, I bet she's got data. Oh, I'm sure she has data. And she wants to help parents navigate this often taboo topic in a way that is consistent with their own family values and also in touch with reality. And when I read that last line, I felt like, (laughs) okay, this woman has totally got it. And I'm so excited to have her on Best to the Nest today. Hi, Heidi. How are you?
2: Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Oh,
0: we're so glad that you're here. Heidi is a friend of my friend Aaron And Aaron said to me, okay, this woman has helped me through some major conversations and questions that I've had as parenting. And I think that she would be such a good person for you to talk to. So I was so happy that we got connected. And I think we're going to start with just the most uncomfortable part Heidi which is why is this so uncomfortable I mean this is something where when you bring up the conversation of the sex talk it increases blood pressure it makes your chest tighten and I'm just speaking from personal anecdotal experience but I have to be right right
2: you are absolutely right and I hear it all the time and I see it even when I'm doing a speaking event and talking to parents when I'm talking about the topic I can see them sweating and getting nervous and they're not even the ones talking about it so I know that it is one of the most, yeah, really kind of nerve wracking conversations parents are trying to prepare for.
1: But, and but you why? all shared,
2: I mean, both of your examples of how your parents didn't say a whole lot to you. I think that is one of the reasons it is so awkward and uncomfortable for us. We don't have a script or an example to follow. Yeah. Right. Our parents didn't have these conversations in a way that I think a lot of us would like to. To have the conversations with our kids and to be fair that's not our parents fault their parents certainly didn't talk to them about it either right right so we don't want to blame our parents for it but i think the fact that we don't have that script to follow makes it uncomfortable because it means that we have to navigate it completely on our own
1: it's funny to me as you talk about we shouldn't blame our parents and this is sort of a weird thought i'm actually glad they didn't talk to me about it, <laughs> it made me more uncomfortable but i think the the, the key is, is that somebody has to talk to you about it. I mean, I, I'm glad that they had a very, it was a very clear sex education class in school. I made sure that as parents, actually my husband did it, and we'll get into that, but I, I think it, I think it is probably a conversation, or I'll ask you the question, is it better to have the conversation at home than to let anybody else do it?
2: Yeah, and it absolutely is, and I think, but what you said about a lot of us might be happy our parents didn't because we can imagine how truly uncomfortable it would have been. <laughs> yeah. But the- He is, right? If we talk to our kids about it when they're young enough, then it's not uncomfortable.
0: But talking to your
2: 12-year-old about it, yeah, that is not going to go well. It will be awkward and uncomfortable, especially if that is the first time you're ever having a conversation or the first time they're ever hearing you use the word penis. A 12-year-old is not going to think that's cool.
0: Oh, yeah. It's the starting early. It's the starting early that's so important. I know you're really big on using proper terms for body parts, which we do that in our house, and why is that so important?
2: Yeah, it is really important, and it's important for a lot of reasons, um, and going back to Marjorie's thought and question about, right, is it really parents that should be having these, or, or should we let other people have that influence? Our kids are going to be influenced from everywhere else, right? They will get influence from their peers and the media, as you talked about earlier, yeah. and their schools and their churches. But we want our kids to know that in our families, we can talk about this stuff so that if they have questions as they get older, they know that they don't have to go find a friend or find something on the internet to answer their question. Mm -hmm. We want them to come to us. So one of the reasons we want to use proper names and labels with our really young kids is so that they know that mom and dad are comfortable talking about their body. If we don't use the word penis, if our kids never hear us use that word, Then as our sons get older and have questions about what their penis is doing, they're not going to come to us because they know, I've never even heard my mom talk about that. I've never heard her use that word. So one reason that we want to use proper names and labels is to teach our kids that we as parents are comfortable talking about it with them and also that we don't see any shame in that body part there you go
1: yeah there you go it's just a body part just another body part that does some mysterious things but just another body part
2: and kids are i mean you you both know having kids but kids are so much smarter and so much more intuitive than we think they are and they pick up on stuff so quickly so even for families who might say to me but i talk about it i just use the word wee wee or something Mm -hmm. else you think but kids pick up on the fact that you are using a different name for it.
0: Yeah. Because it's the only body part that we yes. give
2: these, like, euphemisms or these yes, names right. to. For
0: sure. So you're, you're not, not going, have... like, that's your army army for your <laughs> arm. <laughs> it's just <laughs> your arm. You'd would,
1: you would have euphemisms for every body part. <laughs> I want to go back to something you said because my sons are 28 and 26, and so mm-hmm. we've, we've been through this. And my husband instigated something, which I think goes back to that idea of start the conversation young. So we had a tradition in our house called Ask Dad Anything. Mm. And so there was always, and it was usually Sunday nights, where You could ask Dad anything. <laughs> anything you were curious about, you could ask him. And so, pretty early on, some of those kinds of questions were coming up. But when the sex talk, in particular, I remember having the conversation with my husband. It's like, we have sons. You have to do it. I can't do it. You have to do it. And he was fine with it. But what worked was exactly what you said. It's such great advice. Is he? started the conversation when they were very young and especially now when there's so much filtering into these kids into their lives without us knowing whether it's through Instagram or through any of their social media feeds starting them young i think is key and i was talking to my husband last night and he, i said what was the two parts of it what did you do and he said the beginning was sort of the sort of the the basic difference between boys and girls just because they were curious you know they were different so the difference between boys and girls and then little by little it would be more about the mechanics and what was going on so is that sort of what you encourage is little by little or start them young with the whole story
2: yes I mean exactly that and I love that you did that in your family because I always talk about creating this culture of conversation in our homes which is really just this idea of our whole family in our home feeling like this is a safe place for us to ask questions or answer questions or share stories or talk about our struggles and that doesn't just happen right you can't just decide you know at 16 with your kids that suddenly you think they should talk to you about their life if that has not happened from the beginning so I love that example of you really you kind of had a very a formal way of having that culture of conversation but it gave those kids an opportunity to know that every week they could sit down and they could ask their dad anything. Well isn't
0: that exactly why how Heidi this brings back to this idea of best to the nest that if your nest if you want your nest which we do I mean that's why you're listening that's why we're having these conversations we want it to be a place where we can be our best where we feel safe where we feel secure and where we feel we really get our solid grounding before we go out into the world. I mean that's why these conversations at home and creating that culture of conversation is so important and I love that you bring this up in terms of it's not just about sex because I think we just get so focused on that idea of like oh my gosh we're going to have to have this talk it's going to be the worst moment in my life it's going to be so awkward where it's really about it comes more easily if you've already created that culture of this is kind of the stuff that we just talk about
2: absolutely and I talk a lot about this idea of right having this culture of conversation but then also raising sexually healthy kids and when we think about raising sexually healthy kids it is about so much more than just sitting down and telling them what their body parts are called and the mechanics of reproduction.
0: Yeah and what they should or should not do at any given moment. I mean that gets really tricky.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So when we think about this idea of kind of that bigger picture of raising sexually healthy kids it involves things like you want your kids to know and understand their bodies. As you said, you want them to know what their bodies are for and what they're not for, how to right. use them and how not to use them. Yeah, right. We want our kids to appreciate their bodies, right? We want them to feel grateful for the things that their bodies can do. I mean, think about puberty and how awkward and uncomfortable. I mean, we all remember it, right? It's embarrassing um, for yeah. sure. It's gross, but it's also Pretty amazing what your body is doing and we want our kids to see that bigger picture that it's going to feel gross and you're going to feel awkward but your body is doing something so amazing and the fact that it's doing it is something that we can appreciate I love right? that well it goes I think it goes back to again
1: of if you want them to be sexually healthy and have great attitudes about their body and about their sexuality that you also have to tie that to, there can't be shame involved in that. Yeah. And I think that's a big that's a big shift, I think, for many generations of, if you're going to have a conversation about sex, you can't mix in shame and guilt and all of those other things. I, I don't think. And I think when the Ask Dad Anything sessions would happen, which were always just, By the way, for parents, they're really fun and you should keep jot down the questions over the years because they'll they'll be funny. Like for one of one of my sons asked my husband because when we lived in Atlanta, we lived in order to get to our house, you had to pass about six strip joints. Oh boy. Because it just yeah, and so the signs were there was stuff going on. Yeah. And you know, there was I remember there was a silhouette of a naked woman, just a sort of a black silhouette of a naked woman. And so my son on one of those sessions asked, What is that? What's happening? And basically my husband My husband was like, well, women dance naked in there for men. And then my son's question was, do men have to dance naked too? (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) And my husband's like, no, they don't. And then a lot of times with questions like that, I mean, there was more to the story. But then it just falls away and it's demystified. But there was no shame in asking about what that is. And I think any kid will come up with questions you couldn't even imagine, but I I think it's so important that the question never be shamed.
2: Exactly. And I think that the way we respond to our kids' questions is going to be really influential on whether they feel guilt or shame about their bodies or the behaviors that they do. And so exactly as you said, we talk all the time in my field about just the value of being honest and truthful with your kids. And our kids can handle the truth. I mean, as you just shared, when he, your husband answered the question of, you know, what is that picture of and or what is that place for, and he answered it, the kids might have thought weird, that's what they're in a way, you know, wild yeah. to think about or crazy, yeah. but they heard it and then they moved on from it. And as you yep. said, it demystifies it.
0: So do you recommend, Heidi, do we wait until our kids ask questions or are we piping in at certain times? How does that work for you?
2: So that's really the key question, right? Is So when do we actually need to talk to our kids about these things? And I love to use, there's there's this wonderful researcher, her name is Dr. Ann Bernstein, and she has this great research that talks about developmentally what our kids are ready to know about sexuality, reproduction, family planning, etc. And she uses these categories, and I just love these categories because I think it's it's helpful for us as parents. It's like a simple way for us to remember how much we should say and when. So she talks about our young kids being what she calls geographers. Right? So <laughs> like our two to five year olds. Think about your kids. Elizabeth.
0: Yeah, I've got one right here. I've got a four year old right yeah. here. Yep.
2: Yes. So she's what we would call a geographer, meaning that geographers like to know where things are and what they're called. So you oh. think about how many times a day yes. you hear things like, "What's that? What's that? What's that?" Yes. Yeah right? Or how many times a day you are helping your child learn vocabulary, the books that you're reading, saying, what's that a picture of? Can you find the red one? Can you show me what number this is? Those geographer brains just love to soak in those names and labels for things. They love that, what she calls this geography of it. But that next group, we would call maybe our first through third graders, those are called manufacturers. Manufacturers. So manufacturers like to know how things work hmm. they are no longer satisfied with you pointing at things and telling them what they're called for sure they want to know but how does that work right. right so when we put this in the context of talking to our kids about sex think about really wanting to maximize their geographer or manufacturer brain so we've got these geographers and you think about just the value then of using things like proper names and labels that that's yeah. going to set the stage for the bigger conversations when they're older mm-hmm. So our geographers can know things like, so both boy and girl geographers can know that boys have a penis and testicles. They can know that girls have a vagina and a vulva. I mean, there's like a hundred things to our bodies that they could know about. But yeah, there's a lot you know, happening we'll just, down there. Yeah, that's good vagina and vulva they can know our geographers can know that babies grow in a uterus because they do right Right. we are so quick i think we have this like history in our culture of you know talking about babies and bellies and tummies because it seems easy and yet the word uterus is not that hard to say and your three-year-olds can say the word uterus and if we call it that they're going to go Okay, cool.
0: Okay, this and, is a, like a revolution yeah. for me because I yeah. have been saying the baby in the tummy thing, and sure, most I of time. yeah, and I'm very and I say the I, I we say penis, we say vagina, yeah. we say you know all that stuff, but. I realize so every time my daughter and I go to a theater production, we drive past the hospital where she was born. Yes. And I always say, Bernie, that's where mama had you. That's where you were born. And that's where Frankie was born. And we say it every time. And then she's been sort of asking more questions about that as we go down the sure. street. And it's kind of nice because it's just the two of us and we're in the car.
1: Yeah.
0: And she'll say, well, was I under your shirt? And oh, I say, wow. well, yeah, you were under my shirt. Because, you know, for her, she's like, well, did 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 you come? Did I come out? Was I under your shirt? I say, yeah, you were under my shirt, but you were actually in my tummy. But I never even thought to say the uterus part. I just kind of have said you were inside of me, and then you right. came out. And then she said, did it hurt? And I said, well, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: So, oh, this, you this is exactly a geographer conversation, yeah. right? Because what she's asking is, like, where was i yes I your shirt or where So she wasn't quite ready for you to explain how you got in there for yet, sure but she wants to know where and yet the word uterus i think we just aren't used to saying it and yet what it does is it tells our kids that there is this really cool place in our bodies that is designed just to grow and keep a baby yeah safe. yeah if she ever asks you uh, Mom, um, my daughter, one time we were at Target, she was like two and a half, and there was this man who had kind of a big belly, and my daughter wanted to know, oh, wow. is he having a baby?
1: Sure. Yeah. Right? And
2: I was able to say, I mean, I was nervous that he heard me, yeah. uh, or he heard us, but I was able to say, no, he's not having a baby. And you know how I know that? Because only women can have babies, because only women have a uterus.
0: Oh, that's and really that good. And such
2: a great way for our yeah. kids, those geographer brains, to go, oh, That makes so much sense.
0: Yeah, that does make sense. And that's sort of a source of pride for little girls, too. Like, what an amazing thing that you can do. And I think for women in particular, we have so many messages about what our body is good for and what it's supposed to be for and how it's supposed to be appreciated by society. And by being proud of what your body can do and what amazing miracles it can create, that is setting your – that's where you talk about a sexually healthy – Person, it's having that attitude about it instead of what are these parts of me that all the messages they're getting from the outside are that it's supposed to be appreciated by somebody else, which is brutal, brutal.
2: Exactly. I... And th- those are the things that then we start to talk about now. And imagine again when your daughter is maybe going through puberty and starting to pay attention to those messages from the outside world that you're talking about. If she already knows how cool it is that her body is doing this, even with those messages, she'll be able to still have that other perspective, but it's still kind of awesome what her body's doing.
1: I'm still stuck on the idea that Bernie thinks mom lifted up her shirt. And <laughs> I know. I know. So, but, I mean, this is the key to why you have to have the conversation because at some point that would be quite frightening you know, for her because she's a little girl. And she's thinking, oh, if I lift up my shirt someday, is there going to be a baby there? So I think it's always – I love that idea of the kids' brains and what they're ready for. Yeah, and I love the idea that right there was the conversation
0: where Bernie's trying to figure it out. So we've got the little geographers, then we have yeah. the manufacturers, and then where do we go after that?
2: Yes, yeah. so those manufacturers are the ones who are going to want to know how it works. So yeah. your geographers even can go so far. I always say give them as many names and labels as you can. So even things like you can say that it uh, takes a man's body and a woman's body to make a baby, you can say that there's a sperm inside of a man's body, and that inside of a woman's body is something called an egg, and if the sperm and egg meet, a baby can be made. Those are things that even geographers can know because all they care about is the fact that you just gave them this really cool name yeah. or something. But those manufacturers are the ones that say, but, Mom, how do the sperm and egg
0: meet? Yeah, good
2: right? question. That's and, a legit and, and, question. And,
1: and begins the conversation. <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. And that begins the conversation. And so, when your manufacturers, and again, we're talking like first through third graders, yep. so when they ask questions like that, you should confidently know they are ready to process that full information.
0: So, you can tell them
2: actually how the sperm and eggs meat. Yeah. Do you want me to tell you what that might sound like?
0: Yes, we do. Because okay. yes. I'm yes. aware of how it works, but <laughs> I, I, I too. but I do think it's nice to know how to say it because I have <laughs> never explained that to anyone.
1: And I'm right. aware of how it works, and I deferred to my husband, so I've actually never had this conversation
0: with my sons.
2: <laughs> right. So the cool thing that we get to do is when we're having these conversations, we also get to share a little bit of our values in here without having to overwhelm them. Mm -hmm. The key here is, like, we don't need to sit down and have an hour-long conversation about this. It is just taking chunks of information as they come, at this age at least. So one of the things that we can say is if your manufacturer comes to you and says, how did the sperm and egg meet? right, then you would, first of all, validate them. Like, that is such a great question. I'm so glad you're asking, even if you're panicking on the inside. (laughs) So don't
1: don't giggle and laugh here, which might be my reaction.
2: Oh, it's like everything you can do just to take a breath. Yeah. (laughs) Right now, try to laugh your way out of it. But then you can say that in our family, we believe, which is the way that you're just going to say kind of what your value might be about this type of behavior or the relationship. We do not need to sit down and, like, I think sometimes parents, think that talking about sex also means we have to say every value that we have around it yeah but no they're not ready for that at this age right but you can just say in our family we believe when two people love each other or in our family we believe when a man and woman are married right whatever you want to say then you say so in our family we believe when two people love each other they like to kiss and touch and hug each other in ways that feels really good Okay, right. why so am fun. I – I'm repressing the urge to giggle. I'm like 10 right now.
1: <laughs>
2: well, just get ready, Marjorie, because okay. it's from here. <laughs> so then we would say um, one of the ways they do that. So we're saying one way that they show love, not the only way. Right. right? One way they show love, and we're saying is they – we use the word they because this is not just a man gets to do what he wants. This is together they choose to do this. But they – put the man's penis inside of the woman's vagina, oh, and the sperm comes out through his penis into the woman's body, and if it meets up with an egg, sometimes a baby is made. That's very yes. good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's true. Here's, here's the thing. That is, it's true. That is how it works. That is how it works. That is what reproduction yep. looks like in terms of sexual intercourse. And so what you've done is you've told your kids truthfully and accurately what that process is, but you also, in that conversation, shared a little bit of your values. You shared a little bit about how this is one way people can show love, and you shared a little bit about consent. But you didn't yep. sit down and have yep. an hour-long conversation yeah. about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And their little their little brains, I got to think that's all they can absorb.
2: Absolutely.
1: If we're in first through third grade, that, that mind
0: blown, you
1: know, that's like, well, I can take mom. This is all such, a,
0: it's so good. And as they get older, I wonder, and now we're again going to have to get to the part of the the podcast where we have to demand that our guest will return to us, Marjorie, because oh it's goodness. like it's we're scratching the tip of the surface of this yes. and we have so much more to talk about. What I wonder from you, Heidi, is as they get even older, how you can communicate your family's values And then I think people get so stuck on the hypocrite part because they just don't want to feel like they're telling their child something that maybe they didn't do or setting. I just felt like maybe I was, and this was not intentional, and this is not in any way like a dig on my parents. They were doing the best that they could with what they had, 100%. But I do feel like we were sort of set up for a bit of failure Mm -hmm. because with the standards that they set for how sex should be used it made it really difficult to live up for that to that and so then i think that it kind of created this we had to have this whole moral conversation with ourselves to figure out how to handle it for ourselves and we all handled it all three of us handled it very differently and i don't know that Any one of us really handled it in the best way for us. And that's what I want for my kids. I want them to make these choices that are in the best way for them so that they look back and go, I did that for the reason that I wanted to, not because I was trying to live up to anybody else's expectations, including a partner or their parents. You are absolutely right.
2: And we can certainly talk about it when we have more time because part of what you're describing, that's where we talk to our kids about things other than sex even. So part of how our kids learn that is really through a process of learning how to make decisions. So what you're talking about is not only should people know what decisions to make, like have sex at this time or with this person or not at this time, but they need to know why they would make that decision. And because my mom doesn't want me to is not a good reason.
0: Right. So we need to be able to teach
2: our kids what decisions to make, but more importantly, we need to help our kids learn how to make decisions. The how is important.
0: And the how then, and that's again, I mean, that's a holistic view that you're having, that you're sharing with us, which it isn't just this one tiny sliver. It's if you have this sort of philosophy about your parenting and really about how your home operates, then those conversations that we've deemed more taboo or awkward will automatically be easier and sort of just within the fold of the culture of your home. I love your perspective on this. I can see why my friend Erin has been raving about you, Heidi. This is just so delightful. I also am going to need your cell phone number so I can text you directly. Thanks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this is definitely the part two. This is the part two because I think it's foundational on how we teach our children to make decisions, which in my mind goes back again to avoiding shame, avoiding shame in the decisions that you make, and knowing how to make them for yourself in a good and healthy way, which Obviously, sex is one of the biggest decisions all of us make, and who we choose to have sex with is a big
0: decision. That's a big deal. It's so good, Heidi. Thank you so much. We're gonna make Heidi promise she's gonna come back. Heidi, do you yes. consent? Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, that was sort of a forced consent, but I, it felt like we were at that level. And we'll uh, we'll have Heidi come back and talk more about this because I just think that this is such important stuff. This is this is a key to making your nest a really wonderful, joyful place and a safe landing place. Heidi, thank you so much. Thank you, Heidi. So nice to meet you. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. Oh, my gosh. How good is she, right? Oh. I can't wait for part two. I know. That was really fantastic. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and share it with a friend. And if you have a moment, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts. This one's comes from M. Mogren. Oh, this is my friend Molly Mogren. Yes, I, I love you. Molly. <laughs> I do. too. She says, Podcast with heart. I always tell people this is the most soulful, enriching, and helpful podcast I listen to. You ladies are hilarious, honest, and real. Thank you for talking about the stuff. I'm secretly thinking. I feel Scene. Oh my gosh, Molly. And that is a great compliment from a very yes, gifted Molly.
1: Hi, Molly. <laughs> and please reach out to us. You can find both of us on Instagram at Best to the Nest or at Eliz Reese and at It's Me Marjorie One. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. You know what I want most of all? What? Right now? What? Can Bernie say hi to everybody? Bernie, can you say hi?
2: In the microphone?
0: That's a negative. <laughs> <laughs> She's coloring. Fantastic. <laughs> she Have a color. great day. <laughs> you too. Pretty big hug. <laughs> will